scripture reading for Sunday is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God. In the year... 2,154, human beings have depleted the resources of the earth and need more energy. So the Resources Development Administration finds a good source of energy on a moon called Pandora. On this moon lives a group of species called the Navi who are 10-foot-tall, blue-skinned, human-like creatures. And human beings can't breathe on this moon, and therefore to explore this land and to get close to the Navi who inhabit the land, they create a shell of a Navi called the Avatar, or Avatars, that they can, that they can control with their minds uh, through a machine. And in the movie Avatar, the main character named Jake Sully is sent to spy on the Navi tribe to gain more information and to find out where their energy source is coming from. He deceives the people of Navi and the tribe in order to gain valuable information for his own benefit. There was another character in the Bible who was considered a deceiver. His name actually meant to deceive or or, or a deceiver, and we know who we're talking about is Jacob, the deceiver. To refresh your memory, he deceives his older brother Esau and takes his birthright and then goes on to deceive his father Isaac. Isaac was uh, pretty late in his years and, and he couldn't see well. And so what Jacob did was he dressed up like Esau and, and wore fur on his arms because Esau was hairy and pretended to be Esau in order for Isaac to give him the blessing for the first child, or the first son. And so Jacob deceives Isaac and receives the blessing that was meant for Esau. And Esau, finding this out, 
gets vows and gets angry and vows that once his father passes away, that he will kill Jacob. Now, Jacob's mother, hearing this or knowing about this, says, okay, we need to send Jacob away and tells uh, Isaac to send him to his, her brother's family so that she, he can marry someone from his own tribe. And it's while Jacob has run away and is on his journey to his uncle Laban that he goes to bed on, one of, on his journey on one of the nights, and he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder. And he sees a ladder that's connecting heaven and earth, and there are angels, angelic beings uh, going up and down this ladder. And on top of the ladder, he sees Yahweh. And, and Yahweh has something to say to Jacob, and this is what he says. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So Jacob wakes from this dream and names the place Bethel, which means the house of God, the place where God is present. And it's good for us to have this refresher of the story as it relates to our passage today. We see Jesus calling his disciples, Andrew, Peter, and Philip. They are all from the same town of Bethsaida, and Philip then goes out to and looks for Nathaniel and tells him about Jesus. We found this, this, the one that we've been looking for, the one that Moses and the prophets have been talking about, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the son of Joseph. Uh, and from the sentence, we already know that Philip and Nathaniel were people who knew the scriptures. They were people who were looking for and waiting for this Messiah. They knew that they, there would be a time where this person would come. And we see that Nathaniel is a little bit skeptical because uh, Nazareth wasn't a big city. It was a very small town, and it must have not had a good reputation. And so he says, Nazareth? Can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Phyllis says to Nathaniel, well, just come and see this person, and, and you'll find out for yourself. So Jesus sees, and in the story, we see that Jesus sees Nathaniel approaching him and says to Nathaniel, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel responds, like, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip came to you. And Nathaniel says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And, and Jesus responds, well, you, you see me and you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree, but you'll see greater things. You'll see heaven and earth open up and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Did you notice it? Did you notice the reference that Jesus makes here to the story of Jacob? Do you see when, when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he refers to him as an Israelite with no deceit. We know from the story of Jacob that, that his name literally meant deceiver. And not only that, Jacob's name is changed by God to be called Israel. 
He's the original Israelite. So when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And look what Jesus says here. Look, I mean, looking at what Jesus says here to me, actually, isn't enough to kind of convince me that Jesus was referring to this Jacob story. But looking at what Jesus says even after to me makes that connection more real. He then adds in in verse 51, "Very, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He says that Nathaniel will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending like the, Jack, uh, like the Jacob's ladder. What Jesus means by this is that the place of where heaven and earth meet, which we know Jacob named as Bethel, isn't in a place or a moment in time, but that the new Bethel, the new house of God, the, the new place of God is in Jesus. Jesus is the new Bethel. When I looked at this story, and I imagined being Nathaniel, I don't know why Nathaniel thought that when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, that that was enough to convince him that Jesus was the Messiah they were looking for. Like, I mean, if someone told me that they saw me before I saw them, I would just say, well, maybe you were, you know, I wasn't paying attention to you and and you saw me. Maybe Jesus came, um, you know, followed uh, Philip, you know, quietly and just without Philip recognizing, noticing that he was following him and and saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. To me, that's not enough to convince me that this was the king of Israel, especially from some small town of, of Nazareth. But what if there was more to it than Jesus just being a good uh, fortune teller? What if there was something more to it than that? Like, what if what would make me, if I was Nathaniel, say, yes, yes, this must be the Messiah I was looking for? The, the phrase to sit under a fig tree can mean just that, to sit under a fig tree. But to sit under the fig tree in rabbinic literature means to meditate on the law. So when Jesus, who Nathaniel refers to as rabbi, says, I saw you under the fig tree, just as well could have meant that I saw you spending time meditating, reading and meditating on Scripture. Could it be that Nathaniel was reading the passage of Jacob when Philip called him to come and see the Messiah? What if Nathaniel was literally, you know, obviously he could have been sitting under a fig tree, but what if he was actually meditating on the passage of Jacob and wondering about the promise of God that God had made to Jacob of of being with him and blessing him and, and that all people will be blessed through him? And what if Nathaniel, like I could see myself doing this, what if Nathaniel reading and meditating on that passage felt as though, am I, do I have any deceit in me? Am I a sinner? Do I have things in me that I need to change? Am I a true Israelite? Do I really feel part of God's promises? And so if I was pondering those things, thinking about these things, and then Jesus says to him, hey, 
Here's a, here's, here's a true Israelite with no deceit. I'd be like, wait a minute. Like, how do you know me, Jesus? And Nathaniel says it. How do you know me? Like, how do you know what I was thinking? How do you know what I was meditating on? And then Jesus says to him, I saw you under the fig tree. Meaning, I saw you spending time meditating on scripture. That's why Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then right after that, Jesus affirms what Nathaniel was reading to say that now I am that Bethel, the new house of God. See, this makes much more sense to me because I have seen God do this time and time again. When I need a word, when I need uh, some kind of scripture, or when I'm spending time reading scripture, meditating on it, he seems to know exactly what I need to hear. Whether it's someone else affirming what I was reading or just in that passage itself, he uses it to speak to me. It's not just coincidence, it's providence. It's God using the ordinary to give us moments of revelation. And I was trying to think of a story, you know, from my own life, a a great story that I could tell you to inspire you of how God makes these connections. But then I thought, wait a minute, that would kind of defeat the purpose of the story. Because really, we don't need to hear another amazing story of how God does these things. What we need to hear is that God uses the mundane, everyday reading to speak to us. That when we do these simple acts of devotion, that Jesus sees us spending time with him. So no big story for you, no amazing story, but just an everyday moment is is all we need. And we are in this new series called Epiphany in the Ordinary. How does God reveal himself to us, not just in the mountaintop moments of Christmas and Easter, but also in our everyday, ordinary lives? Here we see that Jesus saw Nathanael. When Nathanael was just doing something ordinary that he would do every day, spending time meditating on scripture, that Jesus saw Nathanael. Even before that Nathanael knew that Jesus saw him. Jesus was already seeking out Nathanael as Nathanael was seeking his Messiah. In the movie Avatar, Jake Sully is the deceiver. Wait, isn't Jake a short form for Jacob? I thought that was an interesting connection. Anyways, in the movie, Jake is invited into this new tribe and is allowed to learn about their culture and their ways. And one of the customs in the group that, that he is learning is how the group greets one another. When they greet each other, they have a saying, I see you. This seeing, I see you, isn't just a physical, I see you in front of me. It's, I see you deep within. I understand who you are. I really see you as you. And I thought of this movie because of what Jesus said to Nathaniel. Jesus said, I saw you. I saw you spending time meditating on the scripture. It got me thinking that in our everyday, ordinary life of our own journey, when we spend time with God, when we pray, when we spend, reading, spend time reading the Bible, 
Jesus sees us. He doesn't just see us physically, but he sees into the depth of our being. He understands who we are. Here's a coincidence. Psalm 139 that I was reminded of that Greg and I did not talk about, but here it is. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before, before a word is on my tongue, you, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And even in Ephesians, it says, God chose us before the foundation of the world. This gives me great comfort because the, the, in the simple practice of meditating on Scripture is one of the ways in which Jesus sees us. I don't know about you, but sometimes when, uh, when I'm reading the Bible or when I'm just going through the motions of, of praying, I ask, you know, I, I ask the question, is, does this really matter? Is, is anyone out there? Is anyone listening or hearing me? Is anyone speaking back to me? What I take comfort in this passage is that Jesus is the new Bethel, the one in whom heaven and earth meet, the one in whom we can not only find our hope and life in, but the one who truly sees us and understands us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one that knows me inside and out and calls me his beloved because deep inside, isn't that what we all want? We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be understood. So how do we respond to this passage in this ordinary time, which feels less ordinary due to another lockdown? I think one way for us to respond is to see it as an opportunity to spend time meditating on the Scriptures. Philip and Nathaniel were not just random people who weren't any, doing anything. They obviously spent time reading and meditating on the scriptures. They were people who were seeking God. In this time of lockdown where we can't go anywhere, we can't do anything, it's a great opportunity for us to develop the habit of meditating on scripture. For some of us, it might mean just starting out. For others, it may mean going deeper. In fact, you know, meditating on Scripture has been part of the Christian faith from the beginning. It's not something new. It kind of went away for a while during uh, the middle parts of, of our faith. But not only is it part of our Christian history, but it has been part of the Hebrew Scriptures and ancient Hebrew literature. I found this clip that I wanted to show you that I think would be helpful for us to understand a little bit about what meditating on scripture looks like. So what's unique about ancient Jewish literature? Well, a key feature is that it lacks a lot of the details that modern readers have come to expect in stories and poems. And this makes it seem really simple. But actually, it's very sophisticated literature. Every detail that is given matters. And that's great, but the lack of detail means that stories are often loaded with ambiguities. I mean, take one of the first stories, Adam and Eve in the Garden. 
where did this talking snake come from? And why did God allow him there? Why didn't Adam and Eve die on the spot like God said they would? And who's this offspring of the woman who will destroy the snake but is bitten by it? Yeah, so many puzzles in this story. And some of these are questions that we have and that are not important to what the author is focusing on. But some of these ambiguities are intentional. Intentional? Won't that lead to bad interpretations, people filling in the gaps with their own answers? Well, that's a risk the biblical authors took in writing this way. We all tend to impose our own cultural assumptions onto the Bible, but they apparently thought the risk was worth it. These oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovery. What do you mean? Well, for example, the strange promise about the offspring of the woman crushing and being bitten by the snake. That word offspring is a clue to pay attention to genealogies, which, lo and behold, run all through the biblical narrative. They trace the lineage from Eve all the way to King David and his offspring. And in the New Testament, Jesus is connected to the offspring of this royal line. Now, when you read the prophets, Isaiah connected this king to the suffering servant who would die on behalf of his people. And then in the book of Revelation, there's this symbolic vision. And can you guess? It's about a woman and her offspring. It's Jesus and his followers who conquer the dragon by giving up their lives. Yeah, so each part of the story there is loaded with ambiguities, but altogether, it makes sense. And this is the literary genius of the Bible. It forces you to keep reading and then interpret each part in light of the others. This is feeling complicated. I don't know if I can do all that. Well, you're actually not expected to notice all of this by yourself or all at once. This dense way of writing forces you to slow down and then read carefully, embarking on this interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and rereading. Ah, okay, meditation literature. Yeah, in Psalm 1, we read about the ideal Bible reader. It's someone who meditates on the scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word meditate means literally to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself and then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens. The Bible starts to read you. Because ultimately, the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your story. <clears throat> A couple of things I really like about that video is, the first one is that I really like the way they explain how we are to read the Bible. That we're supposed to take, to take the whole account of the biblical narrative instead of just focusing on one part and using that one part of a, of a text to explain everything or to have a, a, an opinion on something. And, and the other part, and, the, and, continually, and with that, that we are to read this over and over, slowly, together in community, and over a lifetime. The second thing that I really like about it is that the Bible starts to read you, what they said about this, the Bible starts to read you and that this story becomes your story, which is true. But I would also say that the very word of God, the Bible, the word of God, who we say is Jesus, reads us and speaks to us and sees us. This is why we are called to meditate on scripture day and night. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in steps with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those but whose delight is in the law of the Lord 
and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. One of the reasons why I wanted to show you this clip as well is because it's from a group called The Bible Project, uh, and, and they've created many of these little video clips to help us understand some of the passages. And, and the reason why I included it is because they also have an app called Read Scripture. So if you Google Read Scripture app, you'll find it on both Android and, and uh, um, Apple, uh, uh, what do you call it? Stores, app store. So you can find it there. And, and what I found to be helpful is that they, they actually have a reading plan that's written out, ordered, I should say, more in a chronological way, just so that it's helpful for us to understand. And within some of the sections, especially the big sections, they have a video clip to kind of give you an overview of how it all kind of makes sense. So it's a great way for you to be able to read um, throughout the scriptures, read the, all of the, the whole, whole Bible. You could do it within a year. The way they set up is within a year. But they also let you go on your own pace. The other part of it that I like is that um, it's not just reading for information. So they have a section after you read you know, your, your passage for that day. They have a psalm that you're supposed to meditate on and to pray through um, and to reflect and pray through it, to sit under the fig tree, um, as it were. So uh, I encourage you to try it out, to download it and, and give it a go. That, and, and the way it's set up is that you would read through the Psalms twice uh, as you read all of uh, the Bible. One thing cool about the movie, uh, The Avatar, is that Jake falls in love with Natiri, the daughter of the leader from that tribe. And he can only enter into the world and be in relationship with Natiri through a machine that syncs up his mind with that body, which is just a shell. And he enters into her world through this machine, but needs to always come back into his real world. There's a scene in the movie where the human Jake and Natiri finally meet each other. And by now, already they're in love. And, and they say to one another, I see you. Reading scripture and meditating on it is one of the ways of crossing that bridge between heaven and earth. We do it because that connection has been already made by God. Jacob's ladder isn't actually Jacob's ladder. It's God's ladder. He is the one that made the way between heaven and earth. When you're with Jesus, you are in God's house. You are in his presence, in the place of revelation. We see more of ourselves when we are in his house, when we are with him. Just as Jesus reveals himself to Nathaniel and explained to him who Nathaniel was, so are we when we are in his presence. This is how he makes the ordinary extraordinary. As we spend time with him, not only, we, not only do we see who he is, we come to realize that he already sees us. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are the new Bethel. You are the place in which heaven and earth meet. And even in your grandness, of, of your greatness, you say that you see us, that you know us, that you understand us. Thank you for that. Thank you that you see us as we are. You accept us as we are. That you know us more than we know ourselves. Yet when we are with you, we come to know ourselves as well. So I pray for our willingness to, to step into those places, to, to spend time with you, that it would become part of our our, our daily habit and, and daily part of our lives that we would meditate day and night because when we do, we are with you. When we do, you see us. In Jesus' name, amen.